All right, welcome along to the Irish Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here, and joined today by Conan Byrne and Keith Tracy. We're going to be talking League of Ireland, the clubs in Europe, and much more. But we're going to start on the Women's World Cup and the aftermath following Ireland's draw with Nigeria on Monday, with the girls in green already eliminated from the last 16 contention after the defeat to Canada last week. And in the aftermath, Conan, I mean, there's a lot of focus on, you know, Katie McCabe and Vera Pau and what's been said or not said or tweeted, etc. But um, I suppose first off, your thoughts on the Nigeria game, Ireland's campaign as a whole, but uh, then also what um, what we've seen afterwards in regards to um, the you know what Vera Power said in press conference, and also what uh, Katie McCabe uh, tweeted with the emoji with the sort of zip over the mouth. <laughs> I suppose we'll come to that shortly, uh, Raf. Um, but just in terms of the competition itself, um, it was always going to be the group of death in my opinion, with the, the teams that we were coming up against. Australia being co-hosts, playing them first as well in front of 75,000 people. It was always going to be a difficult difficult game, but I thought the girls handled it really, really well. Um, and it was only just that penalty incident uh, where Marissa Shiva just um, pushed the girl in the back and um, Rasso, and unfortunately, um, Steph Catley stepped up and put one into the top corner, which was a, a fantastic penalty. And that was the difference between ourselves in Australia we did have a couple of chances towards the end but obviously with, with Katie and and then Louise Quinn getting on the end of a header into the box but uh, that went wide so that kind of put us on the back foot then heading into Canada but at the same time it was a brilliant start um, obviously with Katie scoring from direct from a corner um, and it was just the timing like the France game in, in, in the warm-up in the warm-up games just conceding just before halftime we've been we've done it, done it a few times and Vera has mentioned that to our players as well about the concession of those goals at a crucial moments of the game. And it just proved costly. And then obviously Canada, with their experience in bringing on players that have 300 plus caps at halftime, the likes of Christine Sinclair, um, Zdorsky as well, which is a fantastic player in the middle of the pitch, and, and Schmidt as well. So these players are, are high quality, high calibre, with plenty of experience. And I think that was a difference in, in, in the game, the impact of the substitutions um, between Canada and Ireland. We brought on Abby Larkin, but Ashley Lawrence was very, very good against her and doubled up as well. So Abby Larkin couldn't get the, the space that she she got in the Australia game. And then obviously with the, with the concession of the two goals, there were poor goals to concede um, from an Ireland point of view. And that was disappointing. Um, but ultimately, again, we just didn't have the firepower up front to, to get back into the game, in my opinion. And that's been the, the story of the World Cup. We scored from a set piece, obviously, um, like you, you might say it was a fantastic goal, but look, you don't you don't aim to do these things. Um, you do put mean to put it in on top of the keeper, and if it goes in, great. But um, it's not your intention. But and then heading into the Nigeria game again, you're just expecting um an, a performance, and I think that's what we got. I think we played really really well against a really tough Nigerian team that have beaten Australia and 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 obviously drew a Canada as well. So they're they're a really top top side and Oshwala came back into the team. Um obviously scored the the crucial goal in in the 3-2 win over Australia. Um but we kept her relatively quiet throughout and I thought it was a really really good defensive display. I thought Ruisha Littlejohn in the middle of the pitch was absolutely superb like she was for the whole tournament. She was my my player of the tournament. Um for Ireland and um, yeah and it was a great point our first point on the board a, a clean sheet as well which which was great and um, like I said we don't have the firepower to score two three goals in the World Cup um, I think that's something that we need to look at for future major tournaments to try and 
I don't know, push the push the girls up the pitch a little bit more. But I haven't said that. It's very difficult um, when you're up against the likes of Oshawala, Kanu as well. Um, you don't want to put too too many players forward. And obviously then the fallout happens and the girls don't get the credits um, they deserve for that performance because of, of the fallout with, with Vera and Katie. Yeah, and we might just talk about the, the situation on the sideline. Um, so, Keith, you know, 17th minute or so, Ireland at this stage haven't made any substitutions and there weren't any subs, subs made until about 83, 84 minutes. And what happens is Katie McCabe is looking for fresh legs, especially on her side of the pitch. Um, and she makes her point to Vera Pau and Vera Pau ultimately is the manager. She makes the decisions. This has all been discussed in press conferences and um, kind of more cryptically in a tweet or an X or whatever we're supposed to call these things now by Katie McCabe afterwards. But, you know, the the thing of a player going to a manager during a match and asking for changes, how common is that like during your career? Is that um, is that something that's actually sort of essentially something you'd see um, quite regularly? Yeah, I have seen it quite le- regularly, but I, I haven't done it. I haven't seen it done in that that kind of a way. The way Katie McCabe was doing it, where she's on the pitch and she's she's noticeably throwing her hands in the air and having a variable back and forth with Vera Pale, which is, you know, the, the manager picks the team. It's as simple as that. I, I've been in games where I thought the instructions I've been sent out were probably not working at the time, and when it when there's a throw in or a break in play, I will I will wander over to the manager and have a warning in their ear and just see what they think and I'll bounce off them and either they'll say okay keep go with what you think or no listen I'm happy with what you're doing and it's usually behind closed doors so I think Katie McCabe just needs to realise that you know whatever she thinks whatever her opinion on the game is that Vera Pell is outside the game and it's a lot easier to to critique a game from the outside because you can see the whole pitch Katie McCabe is worried about her players she's worried about Farley on the other side as well so Katie McCabe is getting bogged down with an awful lot of things and maybe she feels we can go and win this game against Nigeria. But to be fair, I, I thought we played well. The one criticism I throw at us in the game is that there was maybe too, too many sideways and backward passes. But like Colin says, you start opening up against these these bigger nations. And I know Nigeria are behind us in the rankings, but Peter Powell said they're basically a top 10 team as well, a very, very capable team. So you start opening up against these bigger teams. And they they will cut you off. They have the they have the the class up front in the top areas to do that. So I'm sure it's just a little bit of frustration from Kate. It happens all the time. And I think Vera Prayer was brilliant that yes, she can give her opinion, but she doesn't make the rules. And I I do you know, the, the amount of things that's coming out in the paper now about Vera getting a new contract and not getting a new contract, maybe a couple of the senior players are there's a bit of tension between them. You know, from the outside looking in, I think Vera Pell is doing a great job. I know it's a little bit conservative. People are texting me all the time saying we need to get the handbrake off in these games. It really, it's not that simple. You can't do it. You, we're spending so much of the games nullifying what the other teams can do, and we're doing it so so well. And like Conan says, we're not going to score three and four goals a game. When we get one, if we're lucky, we'll get two. So we need to rely on clean sheets or, or getting the other teams down to a minimum of one goal. So if, if look at we have to all all our best traits are defending, and I, I I think it's great, but I just think uh, Katie McKay just needs to be a little bit calmer in those situations and just go over and have a word in her ear. I remember that there has to be an element of respect there because there is people watching, and you know you you, you can't do that because ultimately I, I've had it in the championship with Darren Ferguson, and one of the centre halves had a pop at him and he just took him off straight away. I believe the words he, he Darren Ferguson shouted at him and the centre half shouted back simmer down to the manager and. Two seconds later, he was off. So it wasn't so much of a tactical battle, but you know, it was just an answer and back. And 
you know, I'm the boss and thankfully uh really didn't didn't seem to want to make a you know a, an example of Katie by taking her off or anything like that that doesn't seem to have gone that far down the road but there's only one winner at the end of the day and it will be the manager. I just think it's ironic in a way because I was just watching the game and I thought Katie herself was flagging in the last 10-15 minutes just due to the fact of the amount of running that she was doing um, and she was she nearly had a type of free roll when we had the ball because she drifted forward and went into the 10 ended up in the right wing at times so I think that she was running on empty herself in the last 15-20 minutes and I think maybe that's why she just wanted that fresh bit of legs in front of her to cover her uh, in the sense of when with the runs she's gone through but I think Vera's honesty in all this is is what's kind of what we've seen we she's t- spoken before about about how honest she is in press conferences and maybe that could be a negative um but at the same time she was asked a question by the by the journalist and and she answered it in the way that it was on the pitch and and and, and how she felt because at the end of the day if you if you see a player on the pitch um signaling the way that Katie was like he'd said it was very very demanding is the word I probably would have used but there has to be that level of respect and like he said, you just have to go over to the to the manager when there's a break in play. It's down her side, so it's that's going to be happening often. There was a lot of throw-ins that she could have easily just went over and whispered in her ear, look, I think we need something, fresh legs. But I, I actually agree with Vera. I think Sinead Farley, the, the player that, well, the supposed player that Katie was asking to be replaced, I thought she was really, really good. Like, she got her foot in the ball. She got us up the pitch. The technique allowed us to get, to get her out of small, small and tight spaces. Um, and I think the most disrespectful thing out of it all was the, the zip emoji um, afterwards. Like, surely by that stage, you've calmed down and you, you've kind of reflected on what you've done. Um, but like, it, it's it's as if like she's been silenced. And at the same time, you're Ireland captain um, you've had a wonderful tournament. You've had a, you, you're having a wonderful career. Um, you've just got your first point in a World Cup. Obviously, the disappointment and the winner that she is she wants to win the game and have the have the three points, um, but at the same time, I just think that you need that little bit of. There's a difference between being a being a captain and overstepping your mark, and I think yesterday she may have done that. Yeah, and you know, at, at the same time, obviously they're both winners. Who, as you said, Katie McCabe is a winner, playing at a highest level. Vera Powell's had plenty of success in the past, including bringing us to, to a World Cup. And again, maybe it's just a disagreement over the methods, but with the, you know, the next uh, fixture for the, for this Ireland team, of course, will be in front of, at the Aviva Stadium, in front of hopefully, you know, a, a full crowd and in the Nations League and, you know, a historic moment, whether Vera Pau is on the touchline or not we don't know at this stage, Conan. So what's your sense at the moment? Because there has been silence from the FAI now for quite a while during this tournament. Obviously during the tournament, it's probably not the time to be addressing um, contractual issues, but it's left a little, a lot of uncertainty, which maybe um, has played a part in some of these um, sort of tensions uh, bubbling over. But what's your sense uh, about Pau and whether, you know, she stays on? Um, I took a lot of, um, I took a lot out of Denise O'Sullivan's tweet after the tournament, actually, where she mentioned the word distraction. Um, and I think that's what's, what's, what has happened with, with the players. There has been distraction due to the fact that, that pre-World Cup, it's been, it was talked about. It should have been sorted then, or if not, it should have been relayed to Vera in a way that, look, we're just going to move, move our separate ways or go our separate ways. Um, Vera being the professional and winner that she is, she's obviously going to want to go and, and, and give Ireland the best that she can possibly believe for future managerial appointments that she that she will get. Um, but at the same time, it's just disappointing the way it, is, it has gone through 
right to the end now and the fallout from it um, rather than the, the magnificent performances that Ireland have shown in, a, in their first ever World Cup. I think that's the disappointing thing about it. The papers today should all be about that, but they're not. Um, it's all about uh, Vera and Katie and Vera's contractual situation. I think Jonathan Hill said that he'd speak to journalists during the World Cup. That didn't happen. He put that on the back burner. Um, it, it looks ominous for her, I have to I have to say it really does because you either want her and you just and and you'd you'd sort it out before the World Cup like she asked press conference yesterday um, uh, before the Nigeria game where she said she asked the, the question was asked do you think that it should have been sorted before now and she said yes and there was that awkward silence afterwards for a couple of seconds as well so yeah it's disappointing especially coming when you're it's so important that you get to the to the Euros um. In Switzerland in 2025 that's that's the next big aim um for this team and with the Northern Ireland game, game coming up in the Aviva Stadium um, and the following games then against Alba- Albania and Hungary you're wanting to progress and to continue this journey that they've been on and g- allow the the fans to follow this and and to, to keep it going and to push it on um and it's just yeah it's it's just very different from what one than what it should be, um, and I think that's the disappointing thing about it. Yeah, and anyway, on, in regards to the World Cup, you can listen to more on our daily uh, podcasts, and of course, uh, we had one yesterday with RT Sports Anthony Pine, where we sort of talked through these um, things, particularly the Vera Pau and Katie McCabe situation in the immediate aftermath of it as well. So, um, we're going to turn our attentions now to the Irish sides in Europe, and I think we'll start on the good news story, which is Derry City beating Coops two one at the Ryan McBride Brandywell Stadium last Thursday in the first qualifying or the sorry the second qualifying round of the Europa Conference League, and a couple of second half goals, Keith. And the only regret maybe after a good win and what was a good performance is they didn't actually win by more because the chance were there yeah that's a uh, I, I really enjoyed the game ref i thought uh, i thought dirty played played well in parts and brian Marr made some big saves as well i think it was maybe only two saves but like two big saves you know had the had the ball hit the back of the net and only one of those occasions and i think dirty would have been really up against it but the first 45 minutes it was a really slow start it took dirty a little bit of a, a little bit of time to get into the game they went one nil down but Reacted really, really well. I know they, they hit the post twice in the first half, but they were sort of looping headers, balls dropping out of the sky. You know, they weren't guilt dead chances. But the second second 45 was much, much better from Derry. They were they were uh, they were at it, the press was at it. And I did when I finished watching the game, I thought uh, I think it was Adam O'Reilly went through in the last couple of minutes. He's one on one, a lovely little move on the edge of the box, a little one two when he's through. Keeper makes a save and I think and that could be a big, big difference going to Finland, uh, 3-1 up uh, as opposed to 2-1 up. But look, we, I think Derry have seen Cukes now. Cukes are not a bad team. They're decent. They will move the ball. But what they what they did well was they attacked quickly with pace in the wings. And look, Derry, for the most part, were able to deal with it. But yeah, they, they, they can't afford another 45 minutes for that slow start. As long as they, if they start with the intensity that they start in the second half, Derry will be absolutely fine in that toy. But anything short of a... Nine out of tens from everybody, then Hughes will come back into the game. But I do, I have a lot of hope that Derry can get that one done now in the second leg, especially with it with the second leg being in Finland. He will be a little bit nervous, but I think Derry have enough uh, just to get over the line of that. Yeah, and Conan, I mean, the approach is going to be interesting in the second leg, of course, with just the narrow, um, the narrow lead. But Rory Higgins, uh, 
just uh, in the build-up to it, um, spoke to the Derry Journal. He said, we won't go there and defend our 18-yard box because I don't think we're capable of doing that. It's not us. We'll go there and play with an energy and intensity that we showed particularly in the second half and go go there and try to be positive, which is more or less what Keith is saying there. I mean, when you look at the squad that Derry have um, and Higgins has been very honest there about maybe their incapability to just like sit in and dig in and play that sort of game. Um, how do you think they will approach it? I mean, and how should how they how should they approach it? Given you experience of playing in these kind of away ties in Europe, yeah, you're, you're, look, you're going to have to be cautious. Coops are a good side; they're top of the Finnish league. Um, albeit the clubs in Finland haven't had a good European run of it, they're still top of the league. They've only conceded eleven goals in their, in their domestic. In, in the domestic campaign so far this season out of 18 games so they're very very they're a good side you know and and it'll be a, a magnificent win and I know Rory compared it to Gothenburg over 20 years ago where um, where they managed to get through that tie um, and it would be similar enough to that but I think the important thing Raf, is the return of big big players Patrick McElhenney um, Mark Connolly as well Michael Duffy Will Patching like there he went a good few games this season without those players and people were saying, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're not a great side. They're not as good as what they thought. But their best players weren't playing. Now they're all back. They've got a magnificent run. The confidence should be high. You do have to be cautious in the opening 30, 35 minutes of the game. Um, you don't want to concede because they can just, like like Dundalk the, like Dundalk the other night, they uh, they conceded two quick, two quick fire goals just before half time. So it can happen. Um, and the way these European teams can counter-attack is, is, is frightening. We're not used to it. Um, so you do need to be compact. compact. <laughs> a bit similar to the Ireland women's team, if I'm being honest. Um, just have that low block, allow the pressure come on, because you have those players, the likes of Brandon Cavan and Michael Duffy, um, Patrick McElhenney, and the pace of McGonagall up front as well to cause some problems. So, um, yeah, I think, it's a, I think they're in a very, very good position. Um, so I'm optimistic about them. Yeah, where whereas as you say, Derry look um look like they have, at least they have a, a shot of going through. I think we can probably safely uh, write off Shamrock Rovers' chances, Keith. I mean, four 0 defeat to Ferenc Chavaros, the Hungarian champions, in their first leg, and now they have to go away from home. And again, it's probably not unexpected though, given it's the exact same result, same um same location as in the Europa League uh, playoff round last season. You know, there's a there's a huge gap between the likes of Ferenc Chavaros and Shamrock. Rovers, with all due respect. Yeah, there is, and uh, you know we, we all know Frank Virus. We all know him from from last year when he turned over Rovers as well. And for, for long, long periods of that game, Rovers just couldn't get the ball off Frank Virus. They were really, really good. I think they, I think the twenty eight percent of the ball came off Rovers, which is is alien to them. They are not used to that happening to them, especially not in the League of Ireland. So. Look, they very, very dangerous players up the top of the park. Uh, Varga, Tiore, Marquinhos, very, very good, very quick, very direct. Uh, the penetration they get in behind is really, really good. But I don't think it's a big surprise, Raph, to be honest with you. I think when you look at how Shamrock Rovers have performed in the league, I know they're top of the league. I'm well aware of that, but they haven't reached the heights that we expected them. I think uh, Graham Bork, his goals return has been okay. Some of his performances have been up and down, up and down. Jack Bourne been injured, been in, been out. Uh, Rory Gaffney's been decent, been bad. Perlouge is a big miss on the wing as well. So I think there's a, a bit, uh, there's a lot of mixes to the cocktail here. But what we're getting is Shamrock Rovers are making the same mistakes in the league. And they've just carried that through to Europe now. Whereas they wouldn't necessarily get uh, punished in the league for the little mistakes they make. At this at this level, you do. You get punished almost every time. And, 
French Gavaris has just shown they have the talent and look to have to go to Rovers and have over seventy percent of the ball in each half, restrict Shamrock Rovers to one shot and target in each forty five minutes of the half. They're very, very good defensively, very, very good on the ball. Devastating in attack, they really are. So look, Shamrock Rovers are four nil down going into the second leg. I don't think any of the Shamrock Rovers players will be relishing it. Look, I think Stephen Bailey can say one thing is listen, let's go out there and try and win the game of football. Don't worry about the going through in the toy. I think that's that's miracle stuff. But just try and win the game of football. If it's a one nil win, a two one win, whatever it is, just go and win the game of football. And just don't lose it. Try and try and come back with some sort of some sort of uh just some sort of uh some pride in the game. Just have some pride and, and dig in because we don't want that champions being turned over. We like to think the league is getting better. Personally, I've watched a lot of games this uh, so far this season. I do feel the league is getting better on the whole, but in Europe, we're just coming undone. Where we seem to say they play the same way. We're talking about Derry going to Finland and maybe doing a full court press. I don't think that I don't think Shamrock Rovers can do that. I think Shamrock Rovers need to drop back them in. I've seen Sean Hall going into midfield and pressing people and getting fucked, and then all of a sudden they're playing balls down to the channel and Rovers are running towards their own goal. They're in big, big trouble. So I'm not sure how Shamrock Rovers would play. I'm not. I, 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 if I was Stephen Bradley, I'd be terrified to do a full card press because you get it wrong once and all of a sudden you're five nil down in the toy and it's looking like a real, real battering. French Gavaris had a very good team, but they're not the sort of team that you'd be quaking in your boots going out to play against as a, as a Shamrock Rovers player. So I think if, if Shamrock Rovers can go and get, like I say, raise the level a little bit, get a bit of a bit of pride in their performance, keep the ball a lot better than they did, defend better and don't be as sloppy, then maybe they can win the game. They're not going to go through on the toy, but maybe they can win the game. And look, Frank Gavaris are very, very good. I, I, I can't stress that enough. But Shamrock Rovers have been poor, and they brought that poor league form into Europe. Yeah, and uh, the dynamic of the goalkeepers, Conan, is kind of interesting as well. Alan Manis came back; he's been out injured uh, for quite a while. Um, made an error um, in the game, and you know Leon Poles, who's been the you know the who's been essentially the stand-in now for the for the last number of weeks was benched. Um, what's your thoughts on the goalkeeping situation there, I suppose, in the, the longer term? Because obviously Manus has been brilliant for them in their successful run, but obviously, um, you know, age is always a factor there as well. I think the we've heard numerous times um, from various sources that Stephen Bradley's just waiting for the, the opportunity to sign a keeper long term um, to, to kind of dismantle Manus. I don't think that's Paul's. Um, I think he's a very, very good backup keeper to Manus, but I don't I don't feel that he should he he'd be the quality of Shamrock Rovers number one. Um, Manus obviously made a mistake for the goal the other day. It was a terrible mistake, for, um, from his his standards. Um, so I just think yeah, it's priority number one. I'd say at Shamrock Rovers is to, is to get a long term goalkeeper. But like, who could that be? That 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 Stephen Bradley wants to bring in. There's been talk that he's been looking for the last two to three years on a, on a on a goalkeeper that could come that could first of all compete with Manus and then obviously overtake him as the number one um but I don't think it's the it's the area that is um especially this season in terms of what's worrying for Shamrock Rovers um I think they brought in Liam Burt um from Bohemians that hasn't worked out re- well at all he only started his first game like imagine starting your first game against Ferran Tavares um away from home since the President's Cup final um v- wasn't great um but it, it's just disappointing. Like the, funny, funny enough about the game, the, the three French Ferris beat them obviously four 0 last year, and it was four 0 this year. The first three goals from last year were the scored the exact same time as the three goals this year. Um, 
and it's 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 just not learning lessons. Um, we've talked about that before with teams in Europe, and like Keith said, it's all about pride now. Um, they beat Ferenc Varas in the return leg. Obviously, Andy Lyon scored with a couple of minutes to go. Um, from a grey header from a corner. Um, and that's what it's all about. And maybe given the likes of Naz Raji the opportunity to uh to break to to get more game time. He's the first player that's gone from the nursery setup at Chamber Rovers right all the way through to the first team, which is which is great for him, great to see, great for the club, great for League of Ireland that we have players that are able to do that now. Um so it's it is all about pride, but at the same time you have to look back and on, on, on the performance, the performances in Europe and domestically and and feel as if if they if they do win this tie win this league title, that it wasn't done on performances. Um, it would be done but through experience, grit, and maybe just that little bit of quality. But um, the performances have been a, a, have a lot to be desired. Yeah, and the other team that was in action in the second qualifying round of the Conference League was Dundalk, who were beaten three one by KA and uh, Daniel Kelly's goal, Keith. That's about the only thing that gives them a, a small glimmer in this uh, of potentially going through, but it's not looking particularly likely either. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's not looking right here, that just because it, it's three one. But I, I have to be honest, I, I fancy Dundalk in the second leg bringing uh, KA back to back home to Dundalk and look. KA are a very good team. They they counter-attack really, really well. Dundalk had the line share of the ball, 64% possession. So that just goes to tell you when KA get it, they counter-attack really, really well. And if you look at the, the highlights in the game, you'll see that. But I, I just have a feeling the toy is not over. I think if Dundalk can keep the ball a, a little bit better, they obviously need to be a lot better in transition. When they lose it, they, they need to have people, when they're building up the play, just... Just trying to smell the bit of danger and think, where do I need to be in case we lose the ball here? Just somebody to just to be mopping up constantly all the time and always thinking, what if, what if, what if? And look, I thought Dundalk played okay in the first leg. I think uh, KA look a very, very good team. They can hit the back of the net, but it's just that little bit in transition. Like I say, Dundalk keeping the ball, turning the screw, but when they lost it, KA just went straight with the throat and were, were able to hit the back of the net. So transition is going to be a big, big thing here. So whether Dundalk go a little bit more from A to B, uh, from front to back, a lot, a lot quicker, and maybe don't have so much build up play, so he can't get caught in the press or get caught in the turnover. I'm not too sure, but I think I think Dundalk and Stephen uh, O'Donnell will be looking at this thinking this toy isn't over. Uh, if they can score in the first half, you know, there's, there's every chance Dundalk can pull us off. And I, I have a sneaky feeling they will do it. But like you say, it's on paper, it's probably not looking like you have, but there's something in me just thinking that, that Dundalk will go through on that. Yeah okay, and in the uh in the in the Premier Division, Sligo Rovers and St Pat's will be live on RT two and RT Player on Friday from seven thirty five pm. So that's uh there to look forward to. But the results last Friday, so Bowes beat UCD two 0 Jonathan Afalabi continuing his good form with uh with a brace one from the spot. Shelburne were two 0 winners away at Cork City, and then Drawdy United and Sligo Rovers in a repeat of the FAI Cup uh first round game, although with a different result uh two all draw there now um Conan I mean starting with Bowes um they had to they had to be patient because the goals came quite late on against UCD but Afalabi you know can't stop scoring that's what now seven goals in um in six games and then also Danny Grant making a bit of an impact as well with uh winning the uh the penalty which put them in front yeah absolutely and great to see Danny Brand- Danny Grant back at the club Raf you know it's um it was a long time coming um he hadn't he hadn't a, 
didn't do too too well over in England and at, at the various clubs that he was with in, in, in terms of loan deals and all. But he's come back and because he's so loved at Bohemians, he's going to hit the ground running. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I know there was debate over the penalty um, where he went down, where, where, where he went down for the penalty. But at the same time, I didn't see any UCD players complain about it. Um, and that's the first thing I look at. I look at the opposition players to see the reaction from them, and there was there was nothing. So, um, and Afalabi took it really, really well. And like you say, seven goals in six games now, um, and it's exactly what you want from your number nine. And it's exactly the type of player that he is. He just needed that little bit of confidence and uh, to score goals. And it's exactly what he's done. And he's just his his strength, his power, his hold up play. And now that he's added goals to that, um, Bohemians, I'll be honest, they're gonna they're gonna find it hard to keep a hold of him um come the end of the season because you're looking now at Max Maddow down in Sligo scoring a few goals and, and obviously Shrewsbury Town, according to Neil O'Reardon, is have come in for him. Um and if you're gonna be looking at the likes of Max Matta, um you're gonna be looking at John Mafalabi. Um and yeah, so it's going to be very interesting to see how they got get on. But yeah, they've done bone bowls. They weren't doing too great. Um, they went through a, a little bit of a patch there around April May. Um, but they've re- rediscovered some form. I think the likes of those players coming in, the likes of Danny Grant, Afalabi scoring goals, getting through, beating Shelburne in the FEI Cup was big in terms of confidence. Um, again, beating Dundalk three two as well. That was a big big result. Um, at Daly Mount Park. So yeah, I, I, they're doing okay. I still don't think they'll they'll finish fourth. If I'm being completely honest, um, but at the same time, fantastic season so far. Declan Devine's doing really really well. Has a good good group of players there. Um, I was talking about leadership last year in the Bohemian dressing room. They, they've they've got it back in terms of Keith Buckley and 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 other players like Sebastian McDonald as well. Um, so yeah, things are looking up, and then hopefully then they can hold on to Falabi and then push on next year. Yeah, and then meanwhile at Shelburne, Harry Wood is one of those arrivals from Hull City, you know, in his case on loan, uh, looking lively against uh, Cork City. And then also I think the, the goal that Sean Boyd scored as well was brilliant, Keith. Yeah, both goals were uh, were really good, Raph. Um, I do like the look of Wood coming in. It's it's, it's always hard to tell with, with, with lads who don't have much first-team experience in England when they're coming over because you don't have much footage of them. But yeah, Wood looks really, really good. Looks like a decent signing. But I, I think what Shelbourne are doing, I said it before, they, they play five at the back. You know exactly what you're going to get. It's rigid. It's horrible. You don't really want to play against them. But when you tactically, when you look at it, it's brilliant. There's very, very few errors. They recover really well. They all work, you know, really, really hard for each other. They're a proper team. And when you think this is their second season in the Premier League, I know I, know I keep going back to a FAI Cup point of last season. Look at, on 38 points, uh, Sligo on 40 points behind them. If anything, you know, Shelbourne are sitting in sixth and they're looking ahead to the likes of them. Dark, Bowles are catching them. They're not looking over their shoulders. They're eight points clear to seventh place. So I think, again, Shelbourne are doing really, really well. Going down to Cork, I know it was going to be an emotional night for Cork, obviously, after what happened to... to to Keaton's uh, family it was always going to be really really difficult but Shelburne went down there and they, they played well they won the game well and it was a really professional performance and the more I see the Shelburne team the more I, I, I like them you know they, they have little bits of stardust with Wood coming in Sean Boyd Jack Moyle and really really good players but the work rate is it's, it never falters you know exactly what they're going to get and I'm sure Damien does corn up 
on a Friday evening when he knows uh, what team he's putting out there, he knows he's getting 100% from every lad. And that's a great luxury to have as a coach to know that every lad is going to work as hard as they possibly can because nine times out of ten, if your team does that, you'll get something out of the game. And that's what Shelbourne are getting. And like I say, not, not exactly pretty, not beautiful to watch. They don't concede a lot of goals, don't score a lot of goals. But yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying what Shelbourne are doing. Yeah, and uh, from the Cork City point of view, Liam Buckley, um, he was talking about Cork needing to dig in more and he said it was a poor performance again. We never got going. Every aspect of it was poor, to be honest. That said, we have 11 games to go. We obviously are going to have to play better than that if we are going to avoid the bottom two. But what's also interesting about them, Conan, is uh, something reported by Paul O'Hare in the Mirror, which was in and around they're no longer going to put uh, release clauses into contracts. And, uh, you know, the, the reaction to that generally is they're, there's maybe a risk in terms of recruitment because there are certain players who might want a release clause put in, but at the same time, in terms of safeguarding the club um, in the longer term, getting fees back, it's an important step. And I wonder how many other clubs would be looking at potentially doing the same or just looking at what Cork have done and seeing if there's potential to follow on. I'd love to see this across the board, Raph. Um, and in terms of the Premier Club's alliance as well, th- th- I'd like to see it being discussed um, because it's something that's, that hasn't that doesn't sit right with me at all. Um, in terms of uh, clubs and even grassroots clubs, um, putting time and effort into young players, um, then obviously going into League of Ireland level, doing really really well, getting international recognition, signing signing professional contracts, and then putting clauses in to get them to get them moves abroad when they turn eighteen. Maybe to, to obviously with they can't move until um eighteen with Brexit now, um, so yeah, I I'm I'm delighted that this has been put in by Cork City. I'd like to see it done at every other club. Um, we're losing too, too many talent, too much talent for very little reward. Um, and it's something that, that, as I said, it needs to happen across the board because we've seen, historically, we, we've been like this. You know, even with Seamus Coleman back in 2006, I think it was, when he left for Everton for 50,000 euro. Like, it's, um, it's extremely frustrating. And there's players in this league that could go for six figures possibly even seven. But because we have these contracts in place, the one-year contracts and two-year contracts don't allow those big figures to um, transfer fees to happen. Um, but it's a step in the right direction for Cork City. Um, and if, you, if you're if you from the, from the area and you want to play League of Ireland football at a national level, um, well, then you're just going to have to suck it up. And if, and if you're good enough, a club will come in for you and sign you for the appropriate fee. Yeah, and uh, in the final game of last Friday that we'll talk about, it's, of course, uh, Drogheda United and Sligo Rovers, which, as I said, was a repeat of the first round of the Cup, which Drogheda United won at home. And, um, Keith, it's kind of a tough one. You know where teams, where they've played each other in one competition and they're meeting again within within a few days, It's uh, how tough is that generally? Because you've got, I suppose, both teams have had a close look at each other and I guess, look, they meet regularly enough in the league. But um, when it's that immediate, it's, it's probably kind of challenging for regardless of which side has won the first game yeah it can be challenging I've had a couple of times in my career where you have a, a double header against the same team but it's it, it, players don't really bother with it you know it's just two games I know now obviously I, I'm dipping my toe into coaching and managing so you know as a coach and a manager you're probably trying to overthink things you think well they'll be expecting this we did this in the first game so let's try and do this in the second game and maybe it gets a little bit a little bit more muddy in the water because managers and coaches are trying to be a little bit too clever. 
yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think players really, really mind. You know, if it's a double header against uh, Finn Hearts away, then I'm sure players uh, stand up and take note of stuff like that. But yeah, uh, I, I think it was a, it was a decent game. And look, Sligo, I, I really like Sligo as a club. I did a bit of training there. I had a lot of time for for uh, for Johnny Russell, the manager up there. But I just I don't think it's been good enough. They've lost. I, I know they drew against Strata the two all, but in terms of the season, they've lost eleven games of football already this season and. Look, I know there is better teams in the league than them. I'm not saying they should be fighting for third, second or fourth, but I still think they should be there or thereabouts the top half of the league. And at this minute, at this moment in time, they're more looking over their shoulders than in front of them. So it's not been anywhere near good enough for Sligo. But in terms of draw, they're there unbeaten in the last five games now, three draws, two wins. So Trotter are becoming a little bit harder to beat, which is good for them. They will nick games here and there. And they're finding a bit of backbone now to not get rolled over. I like what Liam Buckley is trying to and still at court, just not being rolled over too easily. So, yeah, I think on a whole, maybe Drotter and Sligo haven't really been good enough this season, but Drotter are getting better and still huge, huge question marks over Sligo. Yeah, from the draw. Adi- yeah. yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, Raph, I just think Adebayega's uh, transfer to Norwich as well, that's going to have huge impacts defensively because they've been really, really strong in that area. It gives the opportunity for the likes of Aaron McNally to come in and, and cement his place in the back three. But I think that the complete... I wrote about it actually for the for the most recent Irish international game um, about how well Drogheda United are doing considering they're, they're the only part-time team in in the Premier League. The likes of Dale Rooney has been doing really, really well. Adam Foley, uh, Gary Deegan has found a new lease of life as well. Dara Markey, uh, the creative spark in, that, in the middle of the pitch. Um, and even with the loss of Freddie Draper, they're still managing to score goals, which is, which is crucial f- for them in their, in their bid for survival. Um, but it's not just that. They actually are really pushing up the league. They're I think, six points ahead of Cork now, maybe more. Um, and it's it's great for them. Um, and what I, I, I've, I was speaking to their former chairman, Connor Howie, about, Connor Howie about this um, previously. I was always saying that they're, they're unique in the sense that it gives players that have full-time jobs that are very, very good footballers the opportunity to play at League of Ireland level. So I wouldn't be so quick to go full-time if I was Drada because you're still picking up the likes of Darren Markey, who has a very, very good job, who is not willing to, to, to leave his job. But you have him now, and you and he's doing really, really well. Like and other players as well, like Connor Keeley as well. I know there's a lot of interest from Scotland in in terms of him, whether whether that happens in the, in in December or not. But there's players there that are fantastic players that have jobs, and if they do go back full time, you might lose them. Yeah, and uh, also interesting when we were talking about players, um, you know, uh, in, in terms of situations. So Pats were not in action, Keith, but Owen Doyle um, has retired now at 35 personal reasons and looking at the balance sheet of his time there, 18 goals in 63 games across um, 18 months. Obviously, he's had a he's had a brilliant uh, career. Where does it leave Pats in terms of depth up front now, though? I think Pats will be okay. I think uh, Connor Carty has really come into his own over the last couple of weeks. Played really well in the, the second leg against Duda Launch. Uh, Tom Lonergan is there as well. There's one or two others. Jake Mulvaney could probably play through the middle. So, for myself, if, if I was looking at it a little bit uh, selfishly, I'd love to see Doyle stay there just so the likes of the Tom Lonergan, Connor Carty can just continue to learn off him. Because on Doyle, like, I, I played against him in England a few times. He's not the quickest person in the world over 10 yards, but he's just sharp. His movements are sharp. His, his thought process is quicker than everybody else's. So the, when you're not as quick as other people, you have to think quicker than other people. And Doyle was brilliant at that. 
he was a fox in the box. And I just think it was brilliant the way he could hold up the ball. I, I, I really enjoyed him uh, watching him play. And look, I, I remember sitting there, I think it was the start of last season, uh, Pats were playing a pre-season friendly, and I was sitting next to Owen Doyle, and I was just having a little bit of a chat. And I said, oh, you're, you're going again next season. He said, yeah, mate, but my body's... Uh, I, I can't quite repeat what he said, but his body wasn't in a great place. He was telling me, and I thought, yeah, fair enough. And, you know, this, this news doesn't come as a huge surprise to me when, he, when I realised, when I remember what he was saying to me last season. So look, you know, sometimes you have to get out. Your body show, tells you signs. It doesn't just break down straight away. Your body will tell you signs when, you, when it's time to hang up the boots. And if Dyer feels that, now's the time. And I think he feels uh, Pats is in a good place. I think he feels that Connor Carty can lead the line. Tom Donegan can go and help out as well. So he's not leaving Pats in a bad place. So I think, yeah, if Dyla feels he needs to go, then yeah, sometimes uh, life comes forth and being able to pick up your kids and roll them out all about with them after your football career is gone means the world to people so yeah look I, I think Doyle has been a great servant to the game of football for a long time and I hope he enjoys his retirement yeah and in the first division um, at Lone Town and Waterford drew one all Galway United pushed slightly further clear again 3-0 winners over Bray Wanderers Finn Harps won 2-1 away at Kerry and then Wexford edged Treaty United 1-0 then Saturday night Cove Ramblers were 1-0 winners away at Longford Town and uh, just a couple of final stories before we go um, Conan just in regards to Jamie McGrath so his contract at Wigan has ended of course they went down to League 1 and Pre, prior to change of ownership a lot of issues there but the statement the club put out anyway following advice and guidance from the PFA Jack Watmuff and uh, Jamie McGrath made the decision to terminate their contracts due to repeated contractual breaches under the previous ownership and his um, his career has generally thrived when he's gone up to Scotland and he was with uh, Dundee United last season. I was talking to him towards the the end of the campaign as well. And, you know, he's a, he's obviously a very dedicated player in terms of how he wants to develop his game. But it looks like Hearts are the team that are are linked with him. Like, what's your expectation about where where he ends up or where's the best place for him? I'd love to see Jamie go on the, on the continent, Raf. Um, I think he'd suit the, the likes of the Belgian League, the Dutch League, um, Portuguese League really, really well. Um, just considering his, his, his the attributes that he has. Um, very disappointed it didn't work out for him at Wigan. Thought it would have, if I'm being completely honest. He had a fantastic spell at St. Mirren. Um, also. But I just want to play it, just want to see Jamie being happy, happy again playing football because when he is, he's he's so so good. And we've seen what he's like at international level. He's able to compete with the top players in the world. His strength at holding off players, his awareness, his pass, um, his passing, his weight of pass, which is probably his, his best attribute. Um, so I just want him to see him get back and join his football. If that's at Hearts, fantastic. We see we saw Aaron Mac um, Aaron McAniff doing well up there. He got his move to the A League from that. Um, but with Jamie's international experience behind him, you'd like to see him really get involved, starting every week. Um, because Hearts did well in the SPL last year. Um, and you'd like to see them, especially if Jamie McGrath's in the side, to push the likes of Celtic and Rangers, um, or get a bit closer to them anyway. Yeah, and uh, the other the other transfer as well, Keith, and well, transfer that has, has been confirmed. Mark Travers 
to Stoke City on loan and uh, that seems to be coming where his opportunities at Bournemouth are dwindling the signing of the Romanian international Janet Radu and Neto was already there had sort of usurped uh, Travers's place and then of course there's um, I think Darren Randolph has been the uh, the number three there as well um, but your thoughts on that move for Travers I mean I know you've sort of mentioned before the important thing is game time and it looks like just looking at the goalkeeper Stoke have it's a good chance he'll um, he'll, he'll get good opportunities there yeah, that's exactly it, Raph. You know, at, at that age, I don't think there's any point in, in sitting around and just hoping that you, you become the, the number one goalkeeper. You want to get some you want to get some appearances under your belt. And I, I've had... I, I, I'm, I have friends who are, are goalkeepers and number two goalkeepers over in England. And, you know, I, I've had conversations with them and they're, they're talking about, you know, I've been a professional keeper for 12 years, but I haven't played any games. And it's because they're largely number two goalkeepers. So... Sometimes you do just have to get out and play a couple of games. And it's Stoke is a Stoke is a brilliant, brilliant football club. It's not so long ago. It was back in my day they were actually in the premiership with with the long throw. So I think as long as Travis goes there and he plays and it does look like he's gonna play Raft, then it's a good move as long as he plays. So yeah, I think that will get him back into the mix for the Ireland team. But again, you look at the, the two goalkeepers we have with uh, with Kelleher, it it just it just doesn't look like he's gonna get into it. But Look, we, we're very, very good goalkeepers. If one of these lads could just be a centre midfielder that could play on the half home, we'd every chance of becoming a football team. But at the minute, we've three very, very good goalkeepers. And yeah, as long as he plays that, it'll be a great move. Yeah, and actually, just speaking of uh, Liverpool as well and, and Kelleher, I mean, it's quite and down, Conan, in terms of where you know there was there was rumors at the start of the summer that you know he looks like he's definitely going to push for an exit and try and uh, um, get first team game time the only exits we've seen so far from Liverpool have generally been the lads who are coming you know to a certain age and then decide that um, Saudi Arabia is uh, the type the place they want to be now <laughs> which they're not the only ones in the game at the moment clearly like there's uh, headlines every week about players uh, going although it doesn't seem like Mbappe is uh is, is, <laughs> is looking to go that way. I think he he wants to maintain his career at a high level. But um, it's just interesting with Kelleher. It's been sort of quiet on the Western Front in terms of that. In, in terms of that one, yeah. And he started last week as well. I can't see him going anywhere, Raf. Um, and I'm disappointed about that because you want him to see you. You want him playing uh, regular first team football. No matter like he could be with anybody. You know, just because he's with Liverpool, and people are saying, "Oh, yeah, he's great. He's going to be he he he's he's should be Ireland's number one." Well, I'd say if Bazoon is playing and Travers is playing, he probably should be Ireland number three. Um, because it's a, you need players that are playing, especially goalkeepers, in terms of confidence and um, and all those type of things that you need for as a goalkeeper. You need to have regular game time, and he's not having it. And it's different when you're playing under twenty ones or. Um, reserve team football with with Liverpool, uh, it doesn't match the likes of of playing um senior football. And I know you could say, yeah, he's pl- he's playing with like Salah shooting on him every week, Jota uh, shooting on him every week, Luis D- uh, Darwin Nunes, Diaz, all these players are training with every day. It's not the same, it really isn't. And um, in order for him to progress his own career, he should have moved in this uh, in in the summer, and he didn't. And um, maybe that was. Liverpool's decision maybe Keller could, couldn't do anything about it but in order to pro- progress his own career he really should have looked at that, looked for that move and it, and it did materialise for him 
Yeah, there's still a little bit of time to the deadline, but we'll uh, we'll see if if a move does materialize. But as you say, it's not looking doesn't look as likely now as when there was the likes of Brentford being linked and a and a couple others earlier in the summer, and all of them have started to make moves in terms of goalkeepers. But anyway, that's a that's a discussion for another time. That's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back uh, next week with the RT Soccer Podcast, and of course the World Cup Daily Podcasts are available also on YouTube and RT.ie and wherever you get your podcasts as well, and also high highlights and every game live on RT television and the RT player and also online as well. But Keith Tracy and Conan Byrne, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Ref. Yeah.